Well, thanks for coming this morning. It's, it's getting closer to springtime, and we all have projects. And how many of us have projects we were supposed to do probably last year that haven't gotten done that might not get done this year? How, how does that make you feel when you know you have something that you need to do and it's in the back of your mind? Well, totally, hopefully it doesn't make you feel totally worthless. But does, it, does that bug you when you know that there's something that you should be doing and you're not doing it and you need to take care of it? I think it probably it bothers us all, probably some to a different degree than others. I've, I've gotten pretty good sometimes at just letting stuff go until it absolutely has to get done. But we're talk today about God's people and um, as they started and we learned about you know we studied Nehemiah chapter 8 last time we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9 how God's people remembered what it was they were supposed to do they had the word read to them and they understood what that was and knew that they should start to follow God and they had started to do that and we're going to see how they carry on with that today we're going to talk about how they become a confessing community and how Confession should impact our lives and how we should go about confessing in a proper way. So um, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 9. And I'm going to start off by reading verses 1 through 4. So Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them, the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Now on the Levites' platform stood Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shanat. Shinani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. So we're, we're getting good, good practice pronouncing Jewish names. So we can see, and if, if you remember, and I talked about it a little bit, but they, they hadn't heard God's word in a long time. And they got back and they finished building the wall. And then Ezra started reading them the word and they, they heard what that was. And what do you remember what their initial response was? They wept. They knew that they had sinned, and they knew they sinned against God, and they knew they needed to repent from that. But through God's perfect timing, as they heard that word and they, and they were figuring out again what God wanted them to do, it was the time of year when they should celebrate the Festival of Booths. And God told Ezra and the Levites to tell the people to not mourn that this was a joyous occasion because they're coming back to God. And, and they do need to repent for their sins, but at that point they were supposed to participate in the festival of booths and so they did that and now that's taken place and so remember that was the first seven days of the month well now we're on the 24th of the month and the people know they they know at that time they did what God had told them to do which is to celebrate the festival of booths which is to commemorate God freeing his people from Egypt and they traveled and then they're 40 years in the wilderness but now that's over so now they're back to everyday life and and they're realizing if they're really going to follow God again and they're going to rededicate their lives to God, they have to follow him all the time. They can't just do it when it's the enjoyable festival times. They need to take care of all of their other things. And so as they start off, um, how does it say they physically got prepared to confess? 
they were fast. So in verse 1, it says that they, they assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. And that was a very common thing. That was one of those things that, that the Jewish people did to show that they were contrite of heart and that they were confessing and knew they had um, not behaved in a godly manner is they would put on sackcloth, which is, does anybody know what sackcloth is? Like a gunny sack. It's really like burlap. It's what the the very, very poor people, it was all they could afford to clothe themselves with. It was very rough cloth. It wasn't comfortable, um, but it was a way for them to say that they, you know, if you think about, well, maybe I don't deserve to have anything good. I'm, you know, so it was a, a physical outward sign. The fasting as well was, was sacrificing food um, in a way, you know, the, the sacrificing of those things doesn't pay for their sin, but it helps to put them in a right mind, and it's an outward symbol to show others that they know they have transgressed against God and that they need to repent and ask for forgiveness and confess for that sin. So they're, they're physically preparing in those ways. And then they're also hearing the word, and so they're, they're hearing the word of God read, and then they spend... Um, you know, verse 2, well, actually in verse 3, they, they spend a quarter of the day hearing the word of God, and then they spend a quarter of the day confessing and worshiping their Lord. And it's, it's interesting why they, they have those two together. They're confessing and they're worshiping. Do you think that, that those two things that God calls us to do should go together? I think very much so. We, we definitely need to confess our sins, but we also need to have that trust and faith in God that he's going to forgive us our sins and we should worship him and he's able to forgive us our sins because of his love and his mercy and his compassion on us. And, and it's all of those things mixed together. And as, as a believer, having that proper understanding of what it is we're supposed to do, but when we fall short, if we repent and we confess that we're forgiven our sins and we can still have that good relationship with God. God still loves us. He's showing us that mercy and that compassion. And so that worship and the confession goes hand in hand with one another. And so that's what, what the people are doing. And so I'm going to go ahead and continue on and read verses 5 and 6. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. So as they're praying and they're, and they're confessing here, what, what is it that they're doing in this part of their prayer and their worship? There, it's, it's adoration. They, they're acknowledging who God is. And, and that, that is part of proper prayer and worship and confession is understanding who God is and why he is the one who's in charge and why he gets to tell us what we should do because he is the Lord God Almighty. And so they're doing that, and it's a good example of beginning a prayer when we talk to God about honoring God and glorifying his name. Um, and what are some things that, that you see in here that are attributes of God that, that are honor, honoring and glorifying him? They're honoring his creation. They're acknowledging that God spoke the entire creation into existence. 
So he didn't go get things and build it. God created everything, and not just the earth that we can see here, but the heavens above and everything. Um, what else can you see? He does about the heavenly host, and even the heavenly host honor him. Um, one thing that stuck out to me, the very first line of verse 6, you alone are the Lord. They're acknowledging that there's, there's only one God, that there's only one who deserves honor and glory, and that that's God. And that's important for us in our lives to remember that we don't want any idols in our life. We don't want anything to replace God. We want God to be the most important thing in our life. And so as they're going through this, and they are acknowledging God and looking at his attributes, and then they're going to move on to, um, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. It says, You are the Lord who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees, and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, and the Amorite, of the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, to give it to his descendants, and you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. So what are they doing in this portion of their prayer? Yes, declaring his sovereignty. And, and their remembering for themselves and reminding themselves that God made these promises. God chose Abram, and he was, he was Abram first, and then God changed his name to Abraham. But God made that covenant with Abraham and promised him he would have a son and promised him he would have heirs that would be so numerous they couldn't be counted. And he promised them this land that they would have. And God kept all those promises and that's one of those things as, as we pray and we talk to God is to remember what God has done. And it's just, just not to remember all the things that God has done for other people. It's important for us to remember what God has done for us in our lives. Because God works in our lives. He should be. He's alive, God. I hope you see him work in your life. So when you're praying and you're thanking God, um, and, you know, if you are sinning and you're confessing sin and things but remember the things he's done in your life because that I think is the most real thing to you and we can we know God's word is true and we can read about Abram and King David and the prophets and all the things that went on but I think it also speaks importantly to you to know what you've seen God do in your life how you've seen God move as a believer as you mature and you change and the way you react to circumstances that you should be growing and you should be different. You should have more patience. Um, you know, if you look in Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You should see as you mature as a Christian, as you walk more in this life and become more like Christ and try to be more like God wants you to be, you should see more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And, and you should see that in others. That's how others should know you is they should see those fruits of the Spirit, those things that you show that you are honoring God, that you, you, you love God and you can be patient and you can be kind and you can encourage one another, you'll see those things in your life. And if you start to see those things are lacking, that's a good signal for you to think about, well, what am I doing that I'm not you know, doing? Because if, if we're walking in God's will, I think we see those fruits of the Spirit come out in our life. And if we're not in God's will, I don't think we see that. And I think we start to see where we're dishonoring God and we're sinning and we're not doing what we're supposed to. And that's supposed to be a big red flag for us to think about what we're doing and stop 
and go back to God and go back to his scripture and study and pray and figure out what it is that God does want us to do. Um, so again, it's just a good look at when we start thinking about praying to God and we want to grow in that relationship with him is understanding um, that confession begins with a proper view of God. And if we don't have that proper view of God and, and really who God is and who we are, we can't have that right relationship. We have to understand where we fit in and know that God is the Lord God Almighty. And we have to know as well how much he loves us because that's part of that whole thing that we look at is his love and mercy for us. Because did, did he have to save us? No. He could have just said, well, these are the rules and you broke the rules and so here's your punishment. And he, he's a just God, but he also is merciful and, com and compassionate. And he shows that mercy and that compassion to us. But part of confession is we have to really understand the reality of sin. And that's what we're going to talk about next. So verses 9 through 15, it more or less um, continues to recount the faithfulness of God to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And it goes through more examples of the promises that God made them and God's continued mercy and compassion for his people. But we're going to pick up um, in Nehemiah chapter 9 in verse 16, and I'm going to read 16 through 21. And we're going to see how the people responded to all these things that God did. So Nehemiah starting in verse 16. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, graciousness and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, This is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies, you in your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, your manna you did not withhold from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, forty years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. So pretty interesting where as they're, as they're praying and they're going back through the history of their people and they're talking about all of the promises that God kept for them, what's the first word in verse 16? But, which is in, in the English world, that's a transition. And so <laughs> there's this transition of God has done all things, things for their people. But what did, what did it tell us that their fathers and their ancestors, how did they act? They were arrogant, and, and I saw two things that they didn't do. They, they wouldn't listen, you know, they became stubborn, they wouldn't listen to his commandments, they refused to listen, and they did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they refused to acknowledge God and what he did for them and, and how he had been compassionate, and they just went and did what they wanted anyway. So do you think that stopped with the Jewish people? No. It afflicts us all because we are all 
children of Adam. We all have that from when, when sin and death entered the world, that became part of who we are as people. And if we don't have the influence of God and his word and Jesus Christ, his son, and the work that Christ did on the cross and his teaching that we follow and then the Holy Spirit that indwells us, the counselor, the helper that Christ promised when he ascended, he sent the helper. If we didn't have that, we would do the exact same thing. We would just be people and man on their own. We're greedy and um, self-serving and we just want what we want and we wouldn't do any of the things that God calls us to do about loving our neighbor and being kind and gentle and having compassion and we just wouldn't do any of it. If we did it, we might do a little bit of it for those that we loved or part of our family, but we wouldn't be doing it for the right reasons, which doesn't count for God anyway. If we don't do it to honor and glorify God, it's not following what God wants us to do. This We just we see these things that the people did. And, and like I've talked about, though, God is a loving God. And so we have another transition. It doesn't take very long for us to understand, you know, from the beginning of verse 16 to the middle of verse 17, that people were basically people and they didn't honor God and they didn't remember and so they continued on sinning. But what does it say when, it, when it, that, that transitional word in verse 17, what does it say about God? But you, are a, you know, but you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. Even though the people ignored God and refused to obey and didn't do what he wanted, he didn't, it didn't, he didn't completely remove punishment but he did not forsake them he still has compassion on them he still has mercy he's slow to anger and, and he's abounding in loving kindness and th- those are important words so when when you look at what they're repeating here the first time that shows up is in exodus 34 is where it tells us that god is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and that was right after Exodus 32, which they talked about um, in verse 18 here, you know, they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. So if you go back and look in Exodus 32, this is when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to be in God's presence to get the Ten Commandments, and Aaron was left back in charge of the people, and does anybody remember what the people did? Moses was gone for a while, right? Remember, he was up there 40 days. Um, so what happens when he doesn't show back up soon? They had a big party. And, and Aaron said, everybody, give me all of your jewelry, all of your gold. And they, ma- they melted it and fashioned a golden calf. And then, they, and then they declared, you know, they said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And they all started worshiping. So when Moses comes off the mountain... He hears all this noise, and he thinks initially, I think, that there's a battle going on, but they're just having a wild party. All this goes on. So they they have blatantly, this is not a little bit of tiny sin. This is a huge, just, you know, very much disrespectful to God, just completely forgetting what he's told them to do. And, and it would have been, and, and God does have some pretty severe punishment as they go along here, but he doesn't forsake all the people, and he doesn't wipe them all out, and he doesn't start over. He's that God of you know, slow to anger and compassion and mercy. Um, 
And that, that phrase, that reminder for us, it's important. And it shows up. So it's in, in Exodus chapter 34. It's in three different Psalms. It's in the book of Joel. And it's also in the book of Jonah. Um, where we're reminded who God is and why we can still be here today. And even if we sin in a very, you know, in, in any kind of sin, why God doesn't immediately send a lightning bolt and destroy us. It's because he loves us and he understands that we have this pension in the flesh, the desire of the flesh is to sin, and he understands we struggle with that. So he has compassion on us, but he knows we can do what we need to do because he gives us what it is that we need to do. And, and God has provided those things for us. Um, and we look at, you know, if you look at the very end, the last two verses I read, 20 and 21, you know, if we just think about the amazing thing that God did for his people, and again, they, they, they really sinned and transgressed against God because he leads them out of Egypt and he just saved them and he performed all those miracles and he destroys Pharaoh's army when he when he has the Red Sea crash back in on him and they get to the promised land and the spies go and then they refuse to believe the spies but even then God doesn't destroy them but he does make them wander in the desert for 40 years now he could have made that very very painful couldn't he but what does it tell us about what did God do for them in the desert Gave them everything they needed. Their clothes never wore out. They had food to eat. Their feet didn't swell. They didn't suffer any of the things you would think if they were out wandering in the desert for 40 years. God still took care of them. But, you know, God is a just God, and he wanted to get his point across that, you know, when he says, I'm going to do something for you, that this is what's going to happen. So that whole generation had passed away except for the two you know Joshua and Caleb that he allowed to come through and cross the Jordan and go into the promised land but God still kept his promise and so you know just as we go through and read that I think part of that is is looking at sin in our life and understanding that we we probably do the same thing and I think as we're confessing and we get that understanding again when we when we pray in a right way and we acknowledge who God is and what God has done and who we are, it helps us see that definite difference between God, who's a holy God, and there is no sin in God, and God is pure light and pure love. And then we look at us, and we're very different because we all have sin in our life. We all don't on our own have the ability to not sin, and we have to deal with that. And as long as we're here in the flesh, we have to. That's just something we're going to deal with. We're never going to get past that. As believers, we all have besetting sins and things that we have trouble with and will continue to have trouble with until God calls us home. But we do know God keeps his promises, and he's promised us if we believe in his son, if we make Jesus Christ our Lord of our life, and we know he was the son of God and that he died on the cross and paid for all of our sins, that when we die, we have eternal life. We will be with God forever. We're in his presence and because no sin can be in his presence, then we know when we die and we leave our fleshly body and our soul departs and we're in the presence of the Lord, well, we don't have to deal with all that stuff we have to deal now. We're going to be in the presence of pure love and pure light and we won't have to worry about sin and we won't even be tempted to sin because we're going to be there with God and we're going to talk with God and we're going to know God and we're going to do what he wants us to do. But while we're here, we have to do that hard business of living in our fleshly bodies and dealing with the temptations that we have and, and doing what God's called us to do to be in his will as best we can 
So, you know, we see how the people have been doing this, and we've studied a lot, and that's kind of what the whole book of Judges was about, is this repetitive cycle. Um, and if you continued on in the book of Nehemiah, if you go from verses 22 to 31, it just repeats again this cycle that God's people go through. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's kind of the same cycle that we go through as well. And when we look at that, it's the people walk with God for a while, and then they turn their back on God, and they commit idolatry, and they sin, and they do the things that they're not supposed to, and then God punishes them. Sometimes he punishes them um, directly. Sometimes he brings in enemies to take over them, and life is not very good for them, and then they, then they get back to remembering, oh, we're supposed to honor God, and I need to confess my sins, and they cry out to God, God save me, and God being a loving and compassionate God comes back and saves them, and then they walk with God for a while, and then they fall away, and it's just that, that continuing cycle, and you know, hopefully we as Christians, and we can see here, right, the people in Nehemiah's time, they're recognizing and understanding, and they're having God's word read to them, and they're listening, and they're understanding, and their hearts are changing, and they want to follow God, and so they're getting better, and they're doing what they're supposed to do, and, and here, you know, they presented themselves to God, and they're wearing sackcloth, and they're fasting, and they're praying, and they're honoring God, and, and reminding themselves of who he is, and what they've done, and also acknowledging that part about their sin, and so they, they've humbly come to God and they're seeking that restoration and that forgiveness of sins. So it's true. And I, I would agree with both of those. That, that while we're in trials, we really know and understand our need for God. And in those trials, we see God working in our life and it helps us keep our eyes on him. And, and I've heard it described some as um, too many times we have our eyes on the world and we glance at God every now and then. What we're supposed to do is have our eyes on God and every now and then look at the world to kind of make sure we're taking care of what we're supposed to in the world, but we're really focusing on God and what God wants us to do. And it's all in where we're concentrating. But as soon as, um, you know, as soon as we get out of the trial and things are easy, we tend to forget God. Now, does God not, you know, if we're not going through a trial and things are going very well in our lives, does that mean God is not aware of us and not walking with us? No. He knows, and he's right there with us. And we should, we should concentrate and pray and work on our relationship with God, no matter what's happening in our lives. Because if our lives are going very well, it's because it's God's will for us, and it's his sovereignty, and it's his choice for us at that time in our life. And we should rejoice in that and honor God for that and thank him for that. And when we go through trials, we need to have that understanding that we are still the same in God's eyes. Because through all of this, has, has God changed in any way for his people through all of this? This is about 700 years from Abraham until this time. So over that 700 years, this cycle of walking with God and turning away from God and being idolatrous and, and disobedient and sinning and then crying out for help and being saved numerous, I mean, you can't probably, you probably could if you went through and with a piece of paper and ticked off how many times, but many, many times in the 700 years, that cycle. But has God changed at all? God has not changed, and God does not change. He's the same yesterday as he is today as he will be tomorrow. It's people in their hearts and what they're doing. It's the choices that we make. Because if you, if you look back at the beginning, what did those people choose to do when they say their fathers, they were arrogant? They chose 
to not listen to God. They chose to not remember what he had done for them, and they chose to disobey and commit idolatry. So as we choose in our life what it is that we want to do, that's what changes. What happens in our life is our choice, how we react to that, those kinds of things. And so God will put us in difficult circumstances, but if we continue to choose to honor God and we trust in his promises and we know that he will provide with us, he will provide us with what we need, we can still continue on and we can still love one another and love our neighbors and have joy in our heart and, and treat people with compassion like God has treated us with compassion. And so picking up in verse 32, um, we'll see how the people are looking at humbly confessing to God and, and seeking that restoration. So Nehemiah, I'm going to read um, chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you have admonished them. But they in their own kingdom, with your great goodness, which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. And so they're, they're acknowledging here what they have done. And, and like I said, this has been going on for, you know, 700 years. And they understand, so, you know, in verse 32 they're talking about they know that they've been punished and they're acknowledging that we sinned and we did not do what we were supposed to do and so we understand that you punished us and they're asking God they're not saying they shouldn't have been punished they're just asking God to acknowledge that that they understand they've been punished but they also say in um, verse 33 that you have dealt faithfully but we have acted wickedly so they're acknowledging that God has done everything God said he would do. And he has treated them in a way that is fair according to God's law and God's understanding of what he wanted his people to do. That they're the ones who have behaved badly. They're the ones who haven't done what God wanted them to do. They're the ones who turned their back on God. It wasn't God who turned his back on them. He didn't forsake them. He was still there with them through all of those 700 years and as many times as they walked away when they were ready to come back to God God was standing right there and he accepted them back and he loved them and and still treated them the same way it was his people who kept fluctuating back and forth and whether they wanted to serve God or not walk with God and serve themselves and I think an, an interesting part of this is where you look you know they're, they're talking about um, in verse 35 you know, when they in their own kingdom, with your great goodness which you gave them, with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn from their evil deeds. So again, we have people making choices, and they see all the blessings that God is giving them and the promises that he's keeping, but they are choosing to not honor that. So they're choosing to ignore God's blessings. And, and I can't help but think, how many times do we do that in our lives where... 
God blesses us in many different ways, but we turn our back on that and we tell God, no, no, that's not what I want. This is what I want and this is what I want now and you have to give it to me now. We're just the same as, as the Jewish people were acting here. Is they wanted to do what they wanted to do. They wanted to be self-important. They wanted to do their own thing and they didn't want to honor God and, and do what was in God's will for them. And so they ended up being punished for that. And, and I think it, it happens to us is we, we don't ignore and we, we, we do ignore and we don't acknowledge what God has done in our lives. And if we don't do that, we run that very same danger that these people did where we stop honoring God and we start to commit idolatry and we turn away from him and we walk away from him and we have to go through that same cycle where we get into a bad situation and then we call back out to God and God is still there and rescues us. But we just, I think, need to think through that and really understand how many gifts God has given us in our lives that we've turned our back on and we haven't acknowledged and we haven't used in a right way, that we've just ignored it because it wasn't what we wanted. And I think that's the hardest thing for us to do is to concentrate on finding out what, what is God's will for me? What does God want me to do? What am I supposed to do in my life? Instead of spending all of my time figuring out what do I want, what do I like, what does Andy want to see have happen, because if I'm a servant of God and, and I'm going to follow him and he's Lord of my life, I need to do what he wants me to do. So I think as we're looking through this, the people are understanding in a way that hopefully we understand that it's not about us and it's not about what we want or what we think should happen, it's about what God wants to happen in our lives, how God wants us to influence the world for God, you know, on God's behalf. It's not about what we want, it's about what God wants us to do. And sometimes that's a very hard thing to do. Sometimes God asks us to, you know, we have to be humble and back up and admit we did wrong things. And we may have to go apologize to people that we don't want to. And we, we may have to work with and sit under people that we don't know want to do or we may have to go do a task you know God's called us to go do something for somebody that we really don't like to do that you know maybe you hate yard work but somebody lets you know that this person in the church needs help with yard work and so even though you hate yard work you're going to go do that so we don't you know God God asks us to do lots of things God knows what you like to do and I think God allows us to do some of that but God's also going to ask us to do a lot of really hard things that are difficult for us Sometimes that difficulty is dealing with an illness where we have to take medication and we can't eat the food that we like or we have to do different things. But that's the path that we're walking on. And God expects us to deal with those physical infirmities in a joyful way. We can't be angry at the world because, you know, if you have gout and you can't eat all of the stuff that you like to eat or you develop an allergy or whatever happens. Because, I mean, if, if you think about it, is life very convenient? In a lot of ways, life is not convenient. We expect life to be convenient. We want life to be convenient. It is not very convenient many times. We do. We spend a tremendous amount of effort on making our lives, you know, I say make easy, but really making our lives the way we want our lives to be, as opposed to standing back and praying and asking God and saying, God, Show me what you want my life to be. Show me what you want me to concentrate my efforts on. 
you know, I, I love doing this, and this is my favorite hobby, and I want to do this, and it costs lots of money, but instead stand back and say, so God, what do you want me to do? You know, what should I do with all of this money? What should I do with my time? You know, when, when the thing I really like to do, they start scheduling on Sunday mornings. You know, do I quit going to church because I want to go do this on Sunday morning? And, and it's all those little things that add up. And, and I think if we just stop first and, and ask God, what's, what's your will for me? What is it you want me to do? That we can really get to that place where God wants us to be. We're really more of his servant. And we're living, and that's what I think it means when we say we want to live our life for God. It's living in that way and not living my life for Andy because Andy likes to do this and Andy doesn't want to do that. But understanding that God puts you where he wants you and he expects you to take care of those things. And I think if we honor God and we know we're doing it for God, we can find great joy in doing those tasks. Even though we really don't like them, we can find joy in that because we know what we're doing is honoring God. And that is, that is the chief purpose of mankind is to honor and glorify God. So it's hard things to think about. And I think we see here at this point in time, the Jewish people are understanding that and they're recognizing that. And they're taking ownership of their sin and they're confessing and they are being contrite of heart and they're working hard to get themselves back in that right relationship with God. And that started with hearing the word and understanding and reacting to that and really putting God first in their life. And I think if we can do those things, that will help us out greatly. I'm going to go ahead and end. I want to read, um, it's in Psalm 119, verses 57 to 64. So Psalm 119, verses 57 to 64. And I think this is just a good part of Psalm 119 that helps us understand how we should live our lives so we can, we can really live our lives. 57. So Psalm 119, starting in verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I consider my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because your righteous ordinances I am a companion of all those who fear you and those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. So I think if we can live our life in that way, if we can really try to do those things, to, to earnestly seek God and seek his commandments, even though the of the world, the cords of the wicked are encircling me and we're going to get put in bad circumstances, if we concentrate on God and really follow what he wants us to do, that we can, we can live in that joyful way and know that God will take care of us. Anybody have any um, comments or questions before we wrap up for the morning?